I'll be the voice of sanity. Johnny Mulder, <laughs> that's news to me, bud. <laughs> Johnny Mulder, play the face. I'm doing this for children in need. Don't worry, I'm not one of these uh, people going to cause a bit of really trouble. shouldn't be here. Yeah. I'm, I'm from children, uh, doing it for children in need. I've been sponsored by my friends. I don't want to catch it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right, I've been sponsored by my friends. They said if I come on the show, yeah. they'll give a huge amount of money for children in need. Well, bless you. And I've got to show, stay on wonderful. here till the end of the show. No, you mustn't do that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. you Thank you very much. Thanks so much. And thanks for your kind donation. Oh, wait a minute. They should let him stay on, shouldn't they? Yeah! yeah. It's the dreadful machine. No. It's not the machine. It's a temperature. He's here. He's going to stay. Yes, he's going to stay with us. Yeah. And they're going to give their money. Yeah. See the art of the show? Serious. Well, I'll beat the shit out of you. <laughs> Goompod. This week, it's the jet-propelled guided Nephi. But before I introduce my guest, just a quick bit of housekeeping. Uh, it used to be a running gag, but I am occasionally contacted by people still to this day requesting that I dedicate an entire episode to covering the melting pot, oh, uh, including someone just last week. Now, the thing is, podcasting is an audio medium. Uh, and I don't really know how entertaining it would be or how much information I would be able to adequately convey with my head in my hands, slumped over the desk, quietly weeping. My guest this week is James Page, and it's a slightly shorter episode than normal, uh, owing to some technical issues, uh, a new mic that didn't properly work. Um, some of the recording was impaired. Uh, the good news is I've got a new, another brand new mic, and I'm hoping that this is going to do a better job. It, it better do. Um, it bloody better do. Anyway, thankfully, what was lost was mostly me wibbling on about uh, Serafia Friedrika Schaefer, the famous herbalist and cunning woman from Finland. So no great loss. OK. Uh, anyway, we joined the conversation with me typically interrogating my guest about how old they are. Hope you enjoy it. So, James, so just before we started recording, you indicate you said I'm very old. Um, now you, you sound like a spring chicken, but how oh. old, well, you don't have to give me the exact, but what sort of region are we talking? Uh, in the region of 46 years old and about eight months, roughly. Oh, shut up. Get out. <laughs> I'm older than you. Oh, not really? By two years. Yeah. Oh, that's nothing. That's no age at all. <laughs> uh, you posted a very nice tweet about the show several months ago. And, and off the back of that, I contacted you and, uh, and, uh, you said, you know, you'd be happy to come on the show and talk about you know, one of your favorite goon shows. So, but before we crack on with that, what's your, you know, I always ask this question, what's your history with the goon show? How did you come to it? Uh, well, I think probably like most people, uh, it was through my dad. He was a huge fan of, of the goons, of radio, really. He was, um, he worked for a local station and uh, he had a, a long kind of um, history of a, a love of, of radio itself and all the, um, you know, the comedies. He, he was into it in that way. Um, my actual my first 
experience I think of, of the Goon Show was actually um, I hadn't I didn't hear it until I was in my mid twenties. Um, so it was probably my first experience was when I was a child, and he had the uh, the Goon Show script books on his yep. shelves, yep. and I, I found them fascinating because um, I was at that age, I was sort of six or seven, where I love reading, but um, I was kind of moving from sort of the younger children's books to the older children's books, and uh, all of a sudden, the books that I was getting from from the library and at school didn't have pictures in anymore and I was like hang on a second this is this is a bit rubbish books are meant to have pictures how am I meant to know what people look like and that kind of thing and, and imagine what's happening all of a sudden books are just words I'm being ripped off here and I was a bit miffed about that and then all of a sudden I found this uh Goon Show scripts book and it was just full of doodles these brilliant little pictures um that all the cast have drawn and they've been added to the book and and suddenly I thought actually hang on a second grown-ups can have pictures in their books as well this is fantastic I loved it I didn't really get into the storylines that much. What I loved most of all was the little introduction bits. So the kind of before the show got started properly, all the messing around at the beginning, all the tweaking yeah. green slade and uh, making silly noises and you know dropping in sound effects and that kind of thing. Those are the bits I loved the most. I think because at the time um, I watched a lot of uh, children's TV as well. And a lot of that was starting to get kind of pulling back the curtain as well, you know, you know, breaking the fourth wall and, you know, looking at how it was made, adding bits before the credits, after the credits, that kind of thing, and messing around with the format. So I loved that kind of, mm. you know, not just doing a straight radio show, but, um, you know, messing around with the announcer and, uh, you know, doing things before the story started. I thought that was fascinating. I loved it. You know, that, that became more and more pronounced as the yeah. show went on, as we get to, into the ninth series and the tenth series. Um, there's certain shows where the first act, if you like, is just them messing about and uh, yeah. uh, you know, it bears no relation to the actual story proper. Definitely. Um, I think the last game show of all is pretty much all that, isn't it? I don't think there's actually a storyline at all to them. No, sort of... no. That, 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 that's got to feel of something that was dashed off in a, in a bit yeah. of a rush. Yeah, I think because um, when, when I started uh, reading these script books, I think the, the goons, well, the various members were definitely part of my childhood as well, separately as well. Yeah. Um, because um, Spike Milligan, he he would pop up a lot. Like I said, my dad was a huge fan and uh, he had the books, the war memoirs, that kind of thing. And, um, and yeah, Spike Milligan himself just popped up a lot in my childhood as well. There was, do you know uh, the cartoon, The Ratties? I certainly do. Oh, that, I loved that show. It was incredible. It was, um, I used to watch that as a kid and it was like no other cartoon on, on children's TV at the time. I thought it was fantastic. And Spike was just the most incredible narrator of that. So I think it was, was it written by his, uh, Laura, wasn't it? His daughter Laura, Laura, that's right, yeah. And I loved it. It was, she wrote it, but it was pretty much just any any hope of a plot or anything was just there as a kind of a, a playground for Spike to run around and jump off and spin around and, do yes. jokes a million miles an hour i was i think i was slightly too old for it or at least um you know i think it was i'd moved on to slightly older children's television by that yeah. point however it was around that point that i i was getting into the goons so i certainly did make a point of watching it and yeah uh, and i used to have a tape full of it like a vhs tape full of episodes of of the ratties oh, somewhere. fantastic yeah <laughs> There are still episodes on, on YouTube, I'm delighted to say. It's, it's fun to watch now. It's, it reminds me of, um, you know, the, the very early, like the first Popeye cartoons, the black and white ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. The ones where there's no kind of, again, there's no script as such. It's just kind of long noise. It's got the, the actors playing Popeye and olive oil. They're just kind of wittering away the whole time. <laughs> I think it reminds me of that because it's, it's, it's like sticking a microphone into Spike Milligan's head. The whole an episode <laughs> of The Rats is just listening to these jokes going off. It's like a, a match being dropped in a box of fireworks and... 
it just it's one five minute milligan noise <laughs> and then it ends the fatty brothers wallpaper uncle matty who was last decorated during the war watch out fatties uncle matty's on the warpath they're all wrapped up in themselves that's why i never go to these sort of encounter groups baby Betty tears up his bank statement and returns to his magic career with the aid of a fan and five revolving ratties, he will create a cyclone. For his next trick, he will try and stop the cyclone by consulting the book he wrote three minutes ago using a magic wand and the magic word which he has forgotten. And it's working! Forgotten must have been the magic word! Did you ever see when Spike appeared on uh, Wogan with Harry. Yeah, yes, yes. It was yes. the most amazing uh, interview with um, Joanna Lumley uh, as, as Wogan. Right. I, haven't, I haven't watched that for a while, though. Oh, it was, I think that's probably my first memory of, of Spike Milligan thinking about it, because it stands out so much, that thing that happened halfway through. Yeah, remind me what happened. There's somebody from the audience... That's it. Yeah, it was Spike comes on, um, uh, sits next to Harry and they're chatting. I don't know why they were on, um, whether it was promoting something or just, you know, on yeah. as a guest or something. But um, yeah, they're chatting away about their time together. And then somebody comes out of the audience in a kind of homemade T-shirt. And Joanna Lumley plays it perfectly cool, you know, as she obviously does. Um, and this man, she, she looks a little bit concerned that somebody wandering towards the stage. And uh, this man says, hello, um, no, it's OK. Um, my friends say they will give, I think it's children in need, uh, lots of money, uh, but I've got to sit here on the sofa with you uh, for the rest of the show. <laughs> and yeah. Joanna, perfectly cool, says, oh, I'm afraid you can't do that. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll try and sort something out. And Spike is kind of, you can tell Spike's really upset by this because he, he says, oh, no, it's the machine. The machine's really, you know, yeah. gutted that this bit of chaos has happened and it's been squashed straight away <laughs> as this man's being led away. And Spike says, we should let him stay, shouldn't we? And the audience says, hey. um, And uh, oh. Joanna says, I'm afraid he can't stay. <laughs> but we'll sort something out later and just as he's being led away um spike says uh, come and come and see us after the show and then under his breath says we'll beat the shit out of you <laughs> just gets the biggest and he goes i'm sorry i'm sorry just it was so lovely seeing spike just kind of loving this bit of chaos happening and then being so kind of oh it's just it's been squashed by the it's, machine <laughs> it's the bbc uh, it. suppressing fun again yep that's yeah. it my, my first memory of uh, obviously something going a bit weird on tv and then a naughty word on tea time television as yeah well. yeah i'll have to re i'll have to rewatch that actually yeah it's it's, oh, it's great fun so you indicated that i mean i think you told me that the jet propelled guided naffy is not necessarily your favorite goon show mm. but why do you want to talk about this particular one I think um, many, many reasons. I think it's it's definitely one of my favourites. It's one of the first ones I heard. I think somebody, when I was in my 20s, like I say, I hadn't heard a Goon Show until I was like in the mid-20s. Somebody lent me uh, the tapes, uh, you know, the Goon Show Classics tapes yep. uh, for uh, four episodes on each one. And um, somebody lent me these and said, you might like these. It's amazing. It's on with e The Evils of Bushy Spawn, yes. uh, History of Pliny the Elder. And the dreaded battered pulling hurler. So some of the most amazing episodes all on well, one tape. Yeah, because what happened was, because originally it was released as an LP in hmm. September 75, and it was part of the BBC. So the BBC started releasing LPs Yeah. Um, following the success of The Last Goon Show of All. So it was released as Goon Show Classics number two. 
uh, with with as you say the evils of Bushy Spawn on, yeah. on the other side. And when they came to release them in the when was it was it would have been late eighties into the nineties they started releasing the double tapes, yes, uh, which was essentially just um, repackaging uh, the Goon Show Classics LPs. Yeah. It was uh, it was joined with uh, Goon Show Classics number one, which was dreaded better putting Hurler and Pliny the Elder. Mm. Uh, it's it's always been a really popular episode, the Jet Propaganda Naffy. Uh, apparently, one of Peter Sellers' favorite episodes of all time. Is it? Mm. I didn't know that. Yeah, and when he died in July 1980, there was a tribute show. It was it was repeated a couple of days after his death. In the early minutes of last Thursday morning, the entertainment profession lost a truly great international comedy actor, and I lost a very dear and close mate. We are fortunate, however, in that many of Peter's performances on film and in radio are preserved for posterity, so we can still enjoy his matchless, laughter-making genius. Peter always maintained that the happiest days of his life were those Sundays spent recording The Goon Show. I must say that they were my happiest days, too. And so what better way to pay tribute to Peter than to repeat one of those goon shows that he himself regarded as one of his own particular favourites, the jet-propelled guided naffy. It sounds like he's having a lot of fun in this, in this episode. It sounds like he's kind of you know, really getting into it and, you know, being himself and, you know, well, not, not being himself, but being everybody, basically, and really getting stuck into it. It's one of the, one of the reasons that I really like it is because it's it, the first third um, the first uh, act of it, it just sounds like they're just having fun. They're just really enjoying it. They're making each other laugh. And yeah. it's um, like I say, one of the um, one of the things I loved about uh, reading the Goon Show scripts was all the messing around at the beginning. And this episode, I think, is the first act is basically the messing around at the beginning for a whole uh, like 10 minutes. It's, it's wonderful. The, it starts off with them in in Parliament having a, an inquiry and it's just them being making silly noises but doing different voices and you know, being about five different people each and just causing a crowd between you know just the three of them it yeah. sounds so much fun I want to give a bit of background before we start talking about the show if mm. that's okay so it's yeah. um it's from series six it's episode 19 and it was broadcast on the 24th of January 1956 written by Spike, and the producer was Peter Eaton. It was one of Peter Eaton's last episodes to produce. Uh, he went off to work for Granada. Okay. Um, he did come back and do a couple of shows, produce a couple of shows at the beginning of Series 7. But um, who was it? Pat Dixon took over. After oh, yeah. Season, uh, I just wanted to give a little bit of context as well, because so this is this is sort of 20, so say 24th of January, 56. Now, sort of at the beginning of January, the BBC were starting to think about commissioning um, the seventh series, you know, another series of The Goon Show mm. because it was so, so successful. They were getting about 3 million listeners tuning into the, the home service broadcast every mm. week. But as I say, the BBC were working to commission a, a new series and Spike was up for it, but he had reservations. Okay. Oh. There's a memo in the archives um, written by the Variety booking manager Pat, Patrick Newman. Um, he he writes he writes to the assistant head of Variety, which is Jim Davidson, not that one. Oh, good. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and, and and he says uh, Spike tells me that it is not that he himself is tiring, but he wonders whether the British public is, and thinks it might be advisable for the return of the show to be made at a much later date. Oh, 
uh, by which time he feels that listeners will be crying out for it. Yeah. Okay. So Spike, obviously, I, I don't know how, what period of time he was thinking, maybe a year, maybe more mm. um, between series, but the, the BBC were clamoring really for more sooner, if you like. Yeah. One of the issues they had potentially was that Spike and Peter were asking for more money yeah. to kick off, but a, a, a major problem or potential problem was that um, Harry Seacombe was booked to appear well pretty much nightly at the London mm. Palladium from May to December 56. Okay. And as a result, you know, he's, he was going to be there most, you know, five or six nights a week. Right. Yeah. He was saying, do I really want to spend my Sundays recording the goon show? Mm, yeah. It's the only day off I'm going to have. So he was kind of, I'm not saying he, he didn't want to do it, but he was sort of saying, well, perhaps we could shift the recording days to, you know, sometime during the week and yeah. I can record it, you know, during the day oh, on, a, yeah. on a weekday. Um, the BBC wasn't keen on that and Spike certainly wasn't keen on that. Okay. So in the end, they, they didn't shift uh, from recording on Sundays. So I guess Harry just had to take it on the chin. Yeah. Um, now, the week leading up to the recording of, of the Jet Propel Guided Nephi, um, Peter Sellers' agent wrote to Patrick Newman and 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 with, with, with typical understatement informed him that uh, Peter Sellers does not wish to be associated with the Goon Show ever again. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. Which apparently stemmed from some argument that Sellers had had with Milligan earlier in the week, hmm. uh, which often happened, I believe. Yeah, yeah so, th so this episode of the Goon Show, it starts off with... There's, there's some quite interesting his, historical references that have been lost in the mists of time. Yes. You know I mean? yes. So there's this quote that Greenslade reads from, I think it's the Telegraph. The Telegraph, yes. Where he refers to, uh, what, is it? what does he say? Hang on. In building a new residence for the High Commissioner in Colombo, the British government was taken for a ride by the contractors. A witness at an inquiry said a semicircular settee cost four hundred and twenty pounds. It's it's slightly bizarre sounding, but it sounds like there's a ring of truth to that. Yeah, yes, that story. Yeah. Um, but I'd never thought anything much about it until recently. Just in you know during the course of Twitter, I interact with a lot of people, and uh, there's Nick from the uh, Seagreen Memoirs website, and um, I think he he contacted me or we got into a twitter discussion about whether this news story actually is based on on fact mm, yeah. um and i checked with friend of the show andrew pixley uh basically spike did pick up this story from presumably the telegraph at the oh, time right. and took it as the jumping off point for writing the show oh, fantastic. Um, and i just want to read you the news story the the, the, the precise quote taxpayer taken for a ride in colombo okay away no <laughs> uh the British government was taken for a ride by the Ceylon contractors who built 500 pounds at Colombo official buildings for the UK High Commissioner, a witness told the Committee of Public Accounts. Sir Cecil Sayers has been UK High Commissioner in Ceylon since 1951. At the inquiry, the Deputy Secretary of the Ministry of Works was asked whether efforts were made to bring down the cost of the, rev of the residence. Uh, but there's a point I want to get to. Mr. Muir answered the questions about the specially designed £12,000 furnishings for the house. He said, this house is a specially designed house in what is called a contemporary style of architecture. 
I am told there is nothing else like it in Colombo. Mr. Muir said the furniture was chosen on the design by the then Minister of Works. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, now, this is a joke. As I say, it's been lost to the sands of time. Um, but the contemporary audience listening to this goon show would, would be probably familiar with the Minister of Works. Uh, yeah. Or at least some of them would be. Do you know what his name was? Go on. Sir David Eccles. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. No. <laughs> It's, it's it's like they began the Goon Show six years before just to make up to this point. <laughs> That's incredible. It's like, it's like the longest Black Mirror episode ever. <laughs> wow. Well, you're thinking probably Spikes read this read this news story. Yeah. His eye has alighted on the reference to David Eccles, and he thought, okay, let's write a show about this. Yeah. Uh, and if and if it's true, then he's written the show very very quickly. There's been a really quick turnaround. Yeah, that's um, amazing. And and. As you say, the show opens with this parliamentary investigation into why a semicircular settee mm. in Colombo cost £420. And Eccles, who's the Minister of Works, um, who wouldn't go amiss in uh, today's government. I was going to uh, say, he'd be buying PPE now, wouldn't he? He would be. No, hang on, hang on. He wouldn't be. <laughs> he'd be buying something that looks like PPE. But no, but he'd also, I was going to say, he, he'd fit into this government, uh, but he wouldn't actually because he resigns, doesn't he? That's, imagine. <laughs> Nobody in this government resigns. Sorry to get political. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm thinking the, you know, the, the contemporary audience hearing Eccles being, you know, Eccles referred to as the Minister of Works. Yeah. They would appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, this is an inquiry into the cost of a government building in Colombo. What? What? Who authorised this? Who oh, Mr. Eccles here. Yeah. I chose all the furniture myself. Mr. Eccles, why did a seven and sixpenny window seat cost £246? Um. Uh, I resign! <laughs> to my secretary. You can't talk to a government minister like that. I won't be out of work long, you see. I'll, I'll get that ministry officially job. You watch. I've kept goldfish. Mr. Eccles. <laughs> Mr. Eccles, we are not for one moment doubting your sincerity. It's just your intelligence that's in question. Well, I accept your apology. <laughs> How dare you interrupt me when I wasn't saying anything? How dare you? I resign! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up, Eccles! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up, Eccles! I do what I love about the um, this whole scene as well is um, because when I listened to it on tape years ago, um, I think you've mentioned in the past a lot of jokes get cut for the broad for the tapes uh, episodes. Uh, for the episodes that get released later, and like this kind of thing, this kind of topical stuff, they they cut out topical jokes. And there's a joke that I didn't hear um, when I heard it on tape um, that I've only heard since when um, I heard it on, I think it was the BBC, they um, uh, replayed the episode recently. Um, and they're all, they're all firing off all these questions at each other. And you know, what about the dreams in Hackney? What, what about the dreams in East Finchley? I live in Hackney in the dreams. Pong! Which is the best use of the word pong ever. Yes. <laughs> and um, all these questions being shouted. And all of a sudden, um, Peter Sellers, I'm, I don't know whether it's a, a Winston Churchill impression. It sounds a bit like him. But he suddenly says, what about all this washing outside number 10? I'd love to know what that was all about. If there's a, if he gets a massive laugh. Obviously, there's something going on at the time to do with washing outside number ten. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd love to know what that was all about. I don't know, actually. Yes. Again, um, with a lot of the contemporary topical references, there is, you know, I've got res- resources where I can find out 
mm. what they refer to. Now, there's nothing I can find yes. uh, behind, you know, perhaps listeners, uh, some of the more resourceful listeners are able to uh, access newspaper archives from around this time and see if there was any <laughs> new stories about washing lines in Downing Street. I don't know. I'd love to know. Yeah. It's, um, it's got such a massive laugh at the time. It, like, they know something. What, what was that? That was such a neat, again, niche reference at the time must have got such a twink, twink something with people. That makes no sense at all. Twink something with people. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing, um, there's a reference to the Korean war. Yes. Uh, which I, I didn't check, but I think it didn't end about 53, the Korean war. Hmm. Uh, the only thing it could be is, I mean, around this time, in fact, I think contemporaneous to this show going out, um, the, the film A Hill in Korea was oh. out. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that film. I it, don't know. I don't know. It turns, it turns up on Talking Pictures TV. I haven't watched it for, for quite a while. Hmm. The only thing of note about it, it's about the set in the Korean War with the British soldiers. Um the only thing I know about the film really is that it was the um, screen debut or film debut of Michael Caine. Oh, right. Okay. I, I don't think he's got a speaking role. I think he's just one of the soldiers. Yeah. Might be wrong. Uh, but um, around 56, uh, Guy Burgess resurfaced publicly in Moscow, having yeah. defected with Donald McLean in well, literally, I think two or three days before the goon show began in 1951, they oh, okay. they, they defected, mm. and um, and Kim Philby was still uh, well. K K around this time, I know Kim Philby was was getting a bit of heat. He was still working for, I believe, the security services, but there was some because of his friendship with particularly Guy Burgess. There was some questions being asked about his credibility and suitability mm. and whether you know whether he was perhaps uh in hock to the russians uh but it, yeah so around this time 56 as i say uh russian spies and and uh, uh british defectors were all over the news yeah and and we have here uh Sigun returns home from the parliamentary session <laughs> yeah. with, a, with a set of secret plans for a jet propelled guided naffy uh and his Butler, I suppose you'd call him that, is uh, Grip Pipe Thin. Mm, yes. And Grip Pipe Thin is working for the Russians. Along yes, with the author of my 10 years as a Russian spy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, because Seagun's got these these secret plans for this jet propelled guided naffy that can be launched to anywhere in the world and set up in 16 seconds. Mm. Uh, first of all, are you aware of naffies? What, what are naffies? Do you know? I, I didn't know what it was for years. I, I looked it up the other day. Apparently, it stands for the Navy, Army, Air Force Institute. Yes. It's kind of, um, I found a, there's a great video on YouTube, like an advert for the NAFI. Um, it's like this black and white advert. And it, it looks basically like a, a, a tea room kind of dance hall kind of uh, establishment. It looked great. It was an advert for come and work for the NAFI. And it was lots of people having a dance and having a cup of tea. Yeah, it was set up in 1920. It was basically, yeah, it was set up to to let soldiers get something to eat and blow off a bit of steam. Mm. Um, recreational facilities, you know, uh, they could have uh, tea dancers. Is that what they call them? Yeah. Um, and at its peak, the NAFI employed 110,000 people. Oh, right. And had over 10,000 outlets selling, you know, I guess, biscuits, cigarettes, chocolate, 
to yeah. soldiers. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, when I first heard this show, I had no idea what a nephew was, mm. but, and, and of course, back then the, you know, you didn't have the internet and it was, it wasn't so easy to look things up. And I don't yeah. think I ever really looked up what the nephew was. I just kind of, kind of got an idea what it probably was mm, and, yeah. and, and accepted it as such, you know, uh, funny it. enough, um, recently for a show we did recently about Michael Benteen's TV show, it's a square world. Uh, there was a sketch on that about uh, a naffy. Okay. Uh, not a very good one, but uh, <laughs> but so see yeah so Seagoon has got this uh, there's this, this, there's these plans uh, drawn up for a jet propelled guided naffy that can be launched anywhere in the world and set up very quickly, and uh, as a as a sort of as part of a feasibility study, he has uh, a, a prototype guided naffy launched to Malaya. Mm, yes. Uh, and we hear. Six seconds later, uh, telephone rings, and it's Spike doing, unusually for the Goon Show, um, a kind of William Mate Cobbler's voice. See, I thought that was Sellers doing that voice. Is it Spike doing it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Oh. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing the reason for that is because he has to go to the mic, has to have the setting, the telephone oh, voice yes. setting, and yeah. Sellers is is standing by his grip pipe thin. Indeed, so I'm assuming yeah. that's why Spike, why Spike did it. And then he, he calls back soon after and says that um they've basically got these ten thousand cups of cups of tea and what, what yeah. are they going to do with them are they just going to chuck them away <laughs> so, i love the way he says that the, 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 the kind of the resignation in his voice is do you want it or should we throw it all away <laughs> and obviously the watchword being economy mm. Seagun is outraged and says no he's going to arrange to fly ten thousand <laughs> soldiers to malaya to drink the tea to drink it um uh, meanwhile, Grip Pipe Thin has tricked Neddie into letting him photograph the plans. Mm. He says, uh, first of all, before you go, a holiday snap. And uh, Neddy says, yes, I've got to get on my bathing costume. <laughs> <laughs> he says, hold the plans up just, just a bit further. <laughs> Lovely. I so love the way he... holiday snap of Neddie. I love the way he does it. Just right, hold them right up under your chin or something yeah. like that. Uh, now, one of the most memorable sequences from this show mm. uh, is the is the grip pipe and Moriarty? Oh yes, exchange. Seagoon falls asleep and yep. grip pipe. This is the this is the point where Moriarty announces himself. Psst. <laughs> Who's that? Psst. How do you spell it? Literate swine. <laughs> it's Moriarty, where are you? Here, in the piano. What the devil are you doing in there? I'm hiding. Don't be silly, Haydn's been dead for years. <laughs> I don't really know that. Neither do I. I say, look, now help me out. I'm disguised as one of the piano strings. Which string are you? I think I'm a G string. So that's why I can't see you. Now then, I'm not sure which string I am, so you better play a scale. Do. No. Ray. No. Me. Me, that's me. Oh, this has got some of the best jokes in, it, in the, the whole episode. Some of the best series, I think. It is. And you know, and you know that if this had been 
written and recorded and broadcast around the time of the last goon show at all um this would have had a this this joke where moriarty goes psst, psst, <laughs> yeah. you know there would have been a different payoff different yeah oh yes um <laughs> uh and uh moriarty is secreted in the piano <laughs> and there's that great line which still gets quoted to this day what the devil are you doing in there i'm hiding don't be silly <laughs> hiding's been dead for years <laughs> brilliant line it's probably, uh, I'm presuming it's probably, an old, I don't know, like an old Marx Brothers line or something that's kind of yeah. squirreled away, you know. Yeah. Um, now I'm looking, actually, I've got a copy of uh, the script that Spike, Spike Milligan's script from the actual recording. Oh, right. Okay. And, um, and I highlighted one particular edition because more or less, you know, there's a, few, there's a few, if you go through the script, there's a few crossings out and things like that. But there's also some you know, additional lines written in that they've obviously, during the rehearsal period, um, it's, you know, Spike's had inspiration and decided, actually, let's add this line yeah, or, or whatever. And interestingly, when Moriarty says that, you know, he's in the piano and he's disguised as one of the strings, mm -hmm. Grip Pipe in the script says, which string are you? in the script moriarty says i'm not sure play a scale okay but you can see in spike's handwriting here uh he's he's written in i think i'm a g-string <laughs> so that's why i can't see you yeah. okay i didn't know g-strings existed in no i didn't know the 1950s yeah <laughs> <laughs> you learn something it's educational this show yeah so uh i'm so glad that um i mean that's a great line it is. And, and it, it, you know, it just shows that, you know, even up to the point of recording, uh, they were tweaking and, and yeah. uh, <clears throat> in, in, adding to the to the script. So, OK, and it's around this point that we get the Max Galray number. Um, yes. I always ask guests, did you, you know, did you skip the music breaks or did you always listen to them? Uh, it depends how I'm listening. Um, if I if I'm listening at home, then I'll, I'll usually you know, listen to it as well leave music in if i'm listening um while i'm out when i'm well i've got my earphones in while i'm walking the dog i will usually skip max geldray's bit just because he's a great musician and you know great tunes but when i've got my earphones in and i'm listening to the goon show i like to have the sound up as much as possible so i can hear all the little bits and pieces going on and don't miss any bits and then all of a sudden somebody blows a harmonica in my ear it's a little bit mm. ah, i could do without that <laughs> a little bit deafening but yes. um I do, yeah, I do like, uh, generally, I like music. I think Ellington's um, pieces, I, th I think, are great. He's done some great tunes. And it's, I think it's a really nice thing to hear, kind of, as, as part of, you know, the era as well. That's one of the things I like about The Goon Show, is, you know, it takes you back to that era. Um, just on the music, one of the notable points about this show, this particular episode, is, it, is it's uh, the introduction of a new theme tune, signature tune. Oh, yes. So up to the point, so so the previous show was Tales of Montmartre, and that was the last time that the Goons Gallop theme tune mm. was used, okay? Starting from Jet Propelled, Guided Naffy, uh, there's a new signature tune, which is called Lucky Strike. Okay. Uh, and it's written by Ray Ellington, uh, guitarist Frank Denise, and Wally Stott. Okay. okay? So I'm guessing that um, presumably the, the estate of or, or Ray Ellington's son or, you know, get some form of royalties from from that theme tune because yeah. uh, it's are, are you aware of obviously you're aware of that theme tune are you yeah. aware of the goons gallop which was the the previous theme tune it, which how does that, is that the one that goes that's the one yeah mm, yeah yeah 
and it's quite i don't know the reason why they decided kind of virtually halfway through a series to change it that's a strange time to change it yeah it is um i don't know if it had any connection with change of producer possibly I, I, maybe I, but, yeah but having said that peter eason was still producer for this one i'm not quite sure i'd love to know the the reasoning behind that perhaps it was just the case that they decided actually we're sick and tired of <laughs> um of the goons gallop and this yeah. i mean lucky strike does sound a bit more jazzier doesn't it, it yes a bit more, maybe yeah uh maybe they just they were just maturing um, maybe yeah yeah it's a strange it's like when um morecambe and wise uh, they used to finish with obviously bring me sunshine and then all of a sudden you'd see an episode a repeat of an episode and they'd be finishing with like positive thinking like what the, what's this this isn't bring me sunshine <laughs> what are you doing you're not mocking my wife i don't know whether it was when they went to itv or, oh, or what they suddenly changed it yeah i'm trying to think of other shows comedy shows that have had different themes you know theme tunes that have changed during the run i know that was it the first and second series or just the first series of Only Fools and Horses had a different theme tune? That's right. The first one had a more classic kind of zany, wacky theme tune. Sit- didn't sitcom it? theme tune. Yeah. yeah. Here, go, here comes Billboy. <laughs> He's put in a face. And then, yeah, to the, uh, the one that everyone knows. And yeah, I think it was the second series they started using one that's more kind of suited to the situation um, of, of the sitcom. Yeah, yeah. Because of course, Peep Show as well. They had um, for the first, I think, couple of series had yes. a piece. It was Daniel Pemberton wrote it, who's massive in theme tunes. He's done loads. Oh, he's massive in music. He's written loads of theme tunes. And then, I think for the second or third series, they started using um, Flagpole Sitter uh, by Harvey Danger instead, which it's a great tune and really works as a theme tune. But it was a strange kind of choice to suddenly switch from one to another. So different. Well, the the yeah, I remember because the original theme tune for Peep Show would then be used during the later series as musical stings wouldn't it yeah yeah because it was very um sort of experimental mm. theme tune it was yeah because i suppose at the time when Pe- when peep show first came out it was experimental itself and so it suited that and i suppose it maybe when it became more of a mainstream sitcom not you know by changing but because people kind of latched onto it and got you know what they were doing maybe then they thought well let's have a, a punchier theme tune for it now and but yeah like you say keeping all the um the stings. Yeah, I'm trying to think of others, other comedy shows that change the theme tune. Uh, any any suggestions from listeners will be gratefully received. So um, uh, please, uh, this is probably something obvious, something something staring at us in the face. There's um, one from I'm thinking of right now, and I can't think which one it was. But like you say, it, they changed the theme tune, but all the bits, the stings stayed the same from the original one. I can't think what it is now. It's going to uh, come to me at three o'clock in the morning. If you don't mind, I'll I'll, I'll DM you when it comes to me. I've got it. That's fine. Um. Who's your favourite character or characters in the Doom Show? I think definitely Eccles in this one. I love the way that Eccles is used as a kind of a running joke, but also a kind of a, a surprise, basically. He kind of pops up um, every so often to resign. Um, yes. I, I love the way they use that. He kind of, the first time we have him uh, resigning, it's, you know, as you say, when he's the Minister of Works and uh, they question him on why uh this uh, the sofa costs so much and he thinks for a minute and then says i resign that's it <laughs> and then every so often something in the episode will go wrong or there'll be a bad decision made and, who did this i resign and because, again. yes because he, he he reappears as the minister of food the minister of yes uh, the <laughs> chancellor of the exchequer as well uh Neddy says uh, what what is a quarter of a million pounds plus eight pounds six ah, chancellor what is a quarter of a million pounds <laughs> plus eight pounds six 
I resign. <laughs> it's a, I, I love that kind of pullback and reveal joke. It only works on the radio. You know, if, if you knew yes. he was standing there, it wouldn't work at all. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's also got my favorite line, I think, in the whole episode. I'm not one for quoting the goons in everyday life, but there's the scene when just after he resigns for the first time, uh, Greenslade so, uh, says, Mr. Eccles, we are not questioning your integrity, it's your intelligence we're questioning. And uh, Eccles says, well, I accept your apology. <laughs> and I use that line on a weekly basis. It's such a brilliant kind of graceful climb down. You know, if I'm getting the children ready for school in the morning and I'll, I'll shout down the stairs, get your shoes on! And he'll shout back, they are on! And I'll go, well, I accept your apology. <laughs> it works in every situation. Uh, absolutely. I, I think um, Sellers is blue. Sell- this is one of Blue, uh, blue Bottle's finest hours. Maybe. Oh, yes. He gets power, doesn't he? It, it, yeah, I think maybe it's because he's got a, a proper role in, in this particular episode. It's, he's not just like you know, dropped in as, you know, there's two Night Watchmen and oh, look, one of them's uh, Blue Bottle. He's, he's part of the story here and um, so he's in charge of the naffy. And the, yeah, and the comic timing is superb. The bit where the sausages explode. Ah, oh. <laughs> yes. So that's why they call them bangers. Mm, but they're on the ball with the sound effects in this one. <laughs> yes. Huge response from the audience. A massive laugh for that one. Yeah. So I think the, the biggest laughs for this episode is that one there. And weirdly, back in the uh, the first scene with uh, Moriarty and uh, and Grip Pipe, where the pst bit, where, how do you spell it? <laughs> <laughs> massive laugh for a tiny raspberry. Yes. They knew their audience. And also, you can tell that they're on top form because there's an exchange with between Moriarty and Bloodknot, mm. which is just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth without missing a beat. Oh, yes, yeah, it's uh, incredible that scene. Tomorrow we reach the only jet-propelled guided nephi in the world. It must be destroyed. What? Are you a spy? Yes. Then why are you covered in mint? I'm a mint spy. American. <laughs> They wish to know that. A Merry Christmas to you too. Now listen, would you be willing to sabotage this secret guided naffy? I'll have you know that I am a patriotic English gentleman, sir. And what does that mean? It means I'll only do it for money. <laughs> Very well. Here, here is a carbon copy of an imitation hundred pound note. Wait a moment. How do I know this carbon copy isn't a forgery? How? Look here. Here's a life-size oil painting of me rubbing the bank with it. But it shows you clean-shaven. I was wearing an invisible beard. Great! <laughs> Malleable lumps of steaming thunder. I apologize. You Chinese think of everything. But I'm not Chinese. Then you must have forgotten something. <laughs> you should be more careful. Give me the money. Thank you. Now then, what do I do? The best, I think, what, what, what I love about this episode is just that it's, it's of its time. It's, it's kind of its set in the present day. And that's what I find most fascinating about it is... Um, you know, you can get a picture of what was going on then just by listening to this episode. You, you've got everything in there. You know, the the MPs uh, turning up every so often at, uh, in Parliament to growl before dashing off to the Folie Bergère. You've got all the corruption. <laughs> and uh, it's just a lovely, it paints such a great picture of, of that time. Yeah, it does. And and stripped of its context, as I say, when, when you, I first heard it, when you first heard it, you wouldn't have known the fact that it was based on the, the, the story itself was based on true fact and mm, yeah that's and, incredible uh, and you know the, the as i said before the the fact that eccles there was a a minister called mr eccles <laughs> who was minister of works uh, all that would have as i say you know all of that would have been um very con- you know contemporary to the audience of the time uh and appreciated as such mm. uh 
but even listening to it without having all that context, it's just a thoroughly enjoyable show. And it is one of the, I can say this now it, 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 at the end of this year, which is only a few weeks away, uh, I'm going to be releasing a special show where um, I'm going to be counting down listeners' top 20 goon shows. Okay. okay. I know that you've uh, you very kindly supplied me with your favorite show. Um, oh, yes. I can't remember what that was, actually. Which one was it? Gosh, that's going back. I've got to, have to remember now. Hang on a second. I've got it here. Let, let me try and find. Um, I, it was a top three, I think, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, can I find? Oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, here we go. Yes. So my top one, um, Napoleon's Piano. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously a big fan of episodes with pianos in. Yeah. Uh, then the Green Slide story, which is just, I, I love that because it's, like I say, one of my favourite things about the goons is when they're just messing around with each other. And that's a whole episode of just like navel gazing, just uh, metaness and just about the goon show, basically. Yep. And then Frog, I think I had for my third, because again, mm. it's, from, it's from the present time. It was all about the great London fog. And it just painted a picture of what life was like then. Yeah, so you t- your top two there are very popular. Forog is one of those that um, never gets talked about very much. Really, it's uh, no. oh, it's great. It's got one of the the best jokes in it when um, Seagun's walking through the fog and he comes across Minnie Bannister and he says, "Madam, can I direct you somewhere?" And she says, "I think I'd better direct you, sir. Me? <laughs> you direct me? What makes you think I'm lost? You're in my kitchen." <laughs> yes. <laughs> But yes, in uh, in the end of December, I'll be putting out this this top twenty goon show listener goon show episode. Okay, um, and I can tell you, I'm not going to give a particular placing, but I can tell you that the Jet Propel God in Effie is in the top ten. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Oh, that's great to hear. Uh, uh, I won't give away any, 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 anything else, but um, no, it's a, it's a, it's a really enjoyable uh, show. It's one that you can listen to again and again. There's certain goon shows that I will just listen to on hard rotation. Mm, yeah, uh, plenty of the elder, this, the flea. Uh, they all tend to be. Uh, funny enough, they all tend to be ones that were commercially released. Oh, yep, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think this one, it's got so many memorable jokes that just work on their own as well. It's got so many quotable lines. It's got, you know, jokes that kind of, like you say, it's difficult to um, to, to sort of think about it in a linear fashion because there are jokes that could just, they, they just, they stand out so well and they could slot in anywhere. It's, it's brilliant. One of the best ones is um, back at the, the scene with the piano where Moriarty is disguised as a piano string. It's... It feels like the perfect joke because uh, Grip Pup tries to find him by playing a scale. He's play, play a scale, and I'll tell you which is me. And he, he plays a note. Do no, that's not me. Ray, no, that's not me. Me, that me, me, that's me. <laughs> it's like it's the rule of three. It's the third one, and it's me it is. is me. That, it is. It's like Spike Milligan wrote the piano scale just for that joke. Yeah, it is. It is. I've written on my notes here as well, <clears throat> and I can't. I could. I was trying to work out what I meant by this. I'd Ooh. written. Heavy breathing. I think it was. Oh, <laughs> um, and I've just remembered what, what it is. Oh, it, 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 uh, so when Blue Bottle uh, puts puts the sausages in the refrigerators <laughs> and goes off with Eccles to get a frying pan, they go out and you hear the door open and close, and then mm. there's a pause before the door opens again and Grip Pipe and Moriarty come in. Yeah, uh, and obviously Sellers and Milligan have just been playing Blue Bottle and Eccles. The door closes. You can hear both men breathing into the microphone oh. before oh. before the door opens again yeah go back and have a listen um so getting into a kind of character do you think is it taking a pause to kind of possibly. become another person possibly yeah. wow yeah 
I'm not going to listen to that. It's gonna, every time I hear it now, it's going to, oh, there it is. Yeah, you have a listen with headphones, you know? Yes. Because um, you never, I mean, Seekham always used to say that Sellers would become each character. He would, mm. he would, he would sort of puff himself up to be blood milk or he would make oh. himself small, sort of make himself small. You know, I suppose he would kind of reduce himself in size somehow. <laughs> Put some shorts uh, on. And I can imagine him sort of throwing his head back uh, to, to play grip pipe thin. So maybe he was, uh, maybe he was getting into, yeah. into character like that. Method acting. Yes. Uh, wow. So, uh, so James, I mean, thank you very much for for joining me to talk about this show. Um, thank you so much for having me on. It's, I think I've just about got over the uh, the imposter syndrome of appearing on the same podcast as Jonathan Coe and Al Murray and uh, so many amazing people. Oh well, look, you know, I I, I I love having the more famous people on, and I like having bog standard ordinary people. On. <laughs> Thanks. <Okay. laughs> I jest, of course. Everyone has got a story to tell about, you know, their history with the show and, and mm. what they like about it, what they don't like about it. Um, but so, James, you're obviously on Twitter at Drivelcast. I am. <laughs> you used to have a blog, but I didn't think you do that now, or do you? That's oh, blogs. I used to have a blog. That's still in my. <laughs> that is still in my bio. I probably need to take that out because I've updated it for about five years. I think the last thing I updated it with was some satirical topical joke about. Um, George Osborne being the Chancellor. Oh, God, <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> he, he resigned, didn't he? He uh, did he resign? Good did grief! He resign? What did he did he resign or did he get? No, he. I think he must have resigned. I think he resigned. Uh, wow, uh, should have him stuffed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're on the radio as well. I am. Yes, I'm on a, a station, Black Cat Radio. Um, I have a, a couple of shows a week. Um, there's one I do a show during the day, kind of a daytime show, and then uh, kind of a, an evening show as well, playing uh, kind of alternative music, new music, that kind of thing, just um, kind of stuff that doesn't get played enough, really. Um, and oh, it's just it's a thrill and a joy to do, and it's, uh, it's it, I, I can't believe that somebody just lets me on a radio station to play songs for a couple of hours a week. It's it's massive privilege. It's um it's wonderful. Oh, great, excellent. It's okay, a Black so Hat Radio. Black if you have a fancy, radio. some new, you've got to find a new favourite band. Uh, Eight o'clock Tuesday nights on uh, on Black Hat Radio. And and obviously your name is James Page. You never call yourself Jimmy, do you? Uh, no, I get that a lot. <laughs> From, <laughs> oh, can I call you? No. <laughs> okay. All right, James. Well, listen, thanks, mate. And uh, maybe uh, you can come back sometime and talk about I don't know a, a, a film or something like that. Thank you so thank you so much. I'd love to. It's been it's really surreal talking to you after listening to the podcast for so um, for so long. And um, actually, you're talking to me. I, he's asking me a question. This isn't someone else. It's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing because I absolutely I love the podcast so much. And it's you know, regular you know, dog walking, <laughs> listening, and uh, oh, whenever I've got a day off, it's it's just you get some great guests. And like I say, and Jonathan Coe being on. I've I've not listened to that one yet, but I just couldn't believe you've you've got him on and um and so many incredible um scaffold the other week amazing thanks again to james and thank you for the lovely words and uh really appreciated having you on the show it was great i'm sorry if i sounded a bit flat i don't know what was going on there i, I, I did uh, listening back i sounded very off key low energy more than usual thank you all for listening uh we're getting closer to christmas and thankfully it will soon all be over Take care of yourselves. See you next week. Bye.